The hardest job for me to get was actually that internship at the North Stars because I had been calling and cold calling all the sports teams, but also all sorts of other places. And I just didn't feel like I was differentiated from anybody. But then once I got that uh, role at the North Stars, then you have an opportunity to meet people. And so here getting a full-time job with benefits, which obviously is such a big deal um, and all that good stuff, uh, was, was easier almost than getting an unpaid internship. This is the Work in Sports Podcast. Here's VP of Content and Engage Learning at WorkinSports.com, Brian Clapp. If you want the world of sports employment opportunities to open up for you, you have to consider sales. Now, to be clear, there is not one path to success in the sports industry. I've never worked in sales. I've made that clear to everybody. But as I've gone through my career and I've talked to many people and I've observed potential One thing that has become clear is that the wide world of opportunity opens if you have sales experience and can prove that you can generate revenue for an organization. So let's think about this. If you want high pay, sales can offer that. If you want to grow your interpersonal skills, you want to work on your communication, your negotiation, your public speaking, sales will offer that. And that will improve your potential down the line. You want a career path that is always in demand, literally always in demand? There you got it. Sales is it. You generate revenue for an organization. You have a proven track record of doing that. There will always be opportunities for you. You want a wide open career path that can pivot and change to just about anything once you've mastered this art of revenue creation and generation? This is the one. I've worked in this industry long enough to know, wait a second, every one of my bosses, the people above me, the executive level people, they seem to have a background in sales. Huh. Maybe my journalism degree isn't the high ceiling I thought it was. Now, everything's worked out great. I'm very happy. Everything's wonderful. Don't get me wrong. But if you want that high, high, high ceiling, that business knowledge, that sales experience is a key. Work in sales, show an ability to generate revenue. The world is your oyster. Today's guest, Mike Snee, is the perfect example. After almost a decade working in various sales roles with the Minnesota Wild, culminating as the director of corporate sales, Mike leaned into his passion for hockey and became the executive director of College Hockey, Inc., a group working with college athletic departments and the NHL to promote the opportunities brought forth by college hockey. It's a passion play that he is the ultimate leader of as the executive director. And his sales background and his ability to work all of those business functions is what allowed him to follow a passion in the industry and make it work. So. We're going to let Mike Snee talk you through all this because Mike has some of the most actionable and positive career advice that you all need to hear. So here's my friend, Mike Snee, Executive Director of College Hockey Inc. Hey, Mike. So great to meet you. Thanks for coming on the show. How are you? I'm good. Good to meet you as well. And I appreciate the opportunity to visit with you. Yeah, it's a really cool niche that I don't think we've spent enough time in college hockey. So there's a lot to talk about there. We've had a lot of guests from the hockey world, a lot of fans that really gravitate towards the content when we talk hockey. So so let's dive into this a little bit. Suffice it to say, outside of a stint that you had with the Minnesota Timberwolves, most of your professional experience has been in hockey. You're from Minnesota, the land of hockey. Uh, what led to this this love affair that you're currently turning into this, this great career path? It, it certainly wasn't a plan. I can tell you that. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, uh, and especially like college hockey, Inc., I, it wasn't even around, uh, it's 12 year old organization. So 
Um, I, I, at no point in my life uh, did I say someday I want to work for College Hockey Inc. because I didn't even know about it, um, nor was it around. So it's a, it's a good question. Uh, I have not only am I from Minnesota, Brian, I'm from northern Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, so even a little more hockey cred there. I say that as a little jab to all my friends from uh, from Minneapolis, St. Paul. But uh, I grew up in Duluth, which is which is up in northern Minnesota. And so I had a long time uh, my entire life. Just hockey was part of my life, not in any kind of like noteworthy way whatsoever, but just um, something I love to play, something I love to, to watch, something that my friends and I, you know, we did together. And um, yeah. if it was the wintertime, it was hockey. If it was the summertime, it was baseball, that kind of thing. So pretty typical probably to a lot of people today and, and just how people fall in love with sports. I would say the, 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 the best break I had uh, was my dad worked for a radio station in Duluth that happened to be the station that carried the the North Stars and the Twins and all yeah. the sports teams and so on. And um, he came across um, uh, somebody who worked for the, for the North Stars. He had meetings with the North Stars from time to time. I was just finishing up college at the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul. I was an economics and political science major. This was back in 1991. So I don't, yeah. think, I don't think like the sports world was an industry yet. You know, I don't, I don't think, uh, uh, oh, I know teams didn't have like staffs of 200 people yep. um, and so on. So uh, they happened to strike up a conversation. And then uh, this this person with the North Stars was nice enough to tell my dad, well, have your son give me a call. And this, this was uh, in the summertime after I graduated in 1991 and ended up connecting with that person and timing was right. And they were looking for an unpaid intern. And yeah. uh, I was basically unemployed and um and doing some basic, you know, service type jobs just to pay my rent and so on. And uh, started with an unpaid internship at the Minnesota North Stars. And then just from there, um, I loved it. I think because I loved it, I did well in it. Um, that's that's important. And um, and then just opportunities presented themselves down the road. And 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 I and as much as maybe you don't want me to say this, I wouldn't say any of it was by design. It was uh, a good, uh, like a like a fortunate opportunity in the beginning. And then just from there you know, take advantage of it. And, um, and then here I am today. I, I think that's great to say. I think I, I've shared on this show many times before. I laughed when you said you were an economics and poli-sci major because I was a biology and chemistry major okay. uh, for, for the first two years. I ended up changing, but I was, my first two years of college, that's the direction I was headed as well. So sometimes there can be some happenstance that leads us to the right path. Yeah. It's getting more competitive out there though. So people focusing earlier, I mean, sports management majors weren't really a thing when I went to college and I'm sure you felt the same way, but. Yeah, that's a good note. Cause as I was thinking about what we're going to talk about, I, I never had an internship until that internship at the North Stars. So like my summers yeah. in college, I was grounds crew at a, at a golf course. I was a laborer at a plumbing um, contracting yeah. company, um, you know, just making money for school and for life and stuff. And my recollection is none of my friends had internships either. We were all doing yeah. the same thing where now I have children. I have an older son who's just finished up college. A daughter is in college. And it feels like, you know, the pressure to have an internship early mm-hmm. in your collegiate career. And so I do think these young people are coming out more prepared or it is a more competitive environment than it was in 1991. For sure. I agree. I do think that there's much more focus early. We see the same thing, I think, in the sports world too, because my kids are in high school. But I think even just the competitive youth sports, and, and you know it even better than I do, I mean, 
kids specialize so much more now where it's like you play hockey all year round, you play soccer all year round, you pick a sport and do it all year round versus, I don't know, when I was growing up, I played everything. So it is a, it is a different level of focus, either academically, athletically, all those things. It seems like that's a shift that's taken place. But I'd, I'd love to talk with you further about that. I know that's not the point today. I think some stuff is good, okay. like internships and sampling things. I think the uh, playing a sport year round isn't necessarily done out of the interest of the young athlete. It's done out of the interest of the business owner that is owning that sport and wants that person to be a participant 12 months out of the year instead of five months out of the year. So, um, so uh, uh, side note, different podcast. No, but it's a great topic. I mean, we try to talk about important things that are happening in our world that influences the decisions made by our audience. So, I mean, I think it's all relevant. I think we agree very much, too. I've I've felt that frustration from a youth sports perspective for a while now because I do think I've even heard top athletes say it all the time. They're like, the greatest benefit for them when they were growing up was they did a little bit of everything and they weren't so specified. So I, I do think that's an interesting point of Youth sports and hey, maybe we'll have to have another secondary conversation. We'll have to have Roger Federer on. He's uh, uh, read about Roger Federer and his childhood and um, and so on. Do you know him? Can you introduce me? Because I'd love to have him on the show. I know of him. Yeah, me too. Right? We both know him the same way. I don't think Uh, I know that he exists, and he's really damn good at tennis. Yeah, he didn't focus on tennis till late in his childhood. You know, he was I love that doing everything, and but you know, nobody, not many people are making money off of Roger when he was fourteen, or somebody who's like, right? You know, who does gymnastics thirteen months out of the year for a private club? um, Yep, somebody's making money off of that young person. That's the business side of sports for sure. Yeah. You had another interesting step, but you went from, you know, you went from the North Stars and you worked with the Timberwolves for a while. And then you also did an internship in the minors with the Minnesota Wol- Moose. Was that an internship or was that well, a job? I was, uh, that was actually, so I, I did an internship with the North Stars for nine months and uh, and absolutely loved it. I mean, the North Stars were uh, such an important part of my childhood. So to actually be working yeah. there, you know, at 22 years old and and uh, in the offices of their Met Center arena, you know, it just, it, 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 um, I don't want to ever forget how I felt doing that. It was just pretty cool to, to be able to call that place where I went to work. And then, and then, and then um, for the benefit of the people listening to this, um, what happened and I think what I took advantage of, I don't even know if I knew what I was doing it at the time, but you just get, start to meet people at the other teams. And yeah. I've, I've, I've said to myself or my son who now is in sports, the hardest job for me to get was actually that internship at the North stars. I mean, that felt like, you know, because I had been calling and cold calling all the sports teams, but also all sorts of other places. And I just didn't feel like I was differentiated from anybody. I mean, I just was out of college. I did okay academically, econ major, whatever. Um, but then once I got that uh, role at the North Stars, then you have an opportunity to meet people, talk to people, have them get to know your work ethic and, and, and creativity and so on. And so I got to know people at Timberwolves and they had an opening and it just felt so much easier getting that job yeah. because I knew those people going into the interview, they had a comfort level with me. Um, and so here getting a full-time job with benefits, which obviously is such a big deal um, oh, yeah. and all that good stuff uh, was, was easier almost than getting an unpaid internship because of, of the uh, ability to build those relationships. So I then went to the Timberwolves for two years. I was a the t- typical account executive selling group and season tickets then got to know people at the Timberwolves and so on. And then the North Stars then would leave. They went to Dallas. Um, and then they brought a, a minor league team, the Minnesota Moose, to town in 1994. And the person they hired as the president was a guy I worked with at the, Timberwol- at the Timberwolves. 
And he came and asked if I'd want to be the, uh, the director of ticket sales. So now all of a sudden I'm 25. Um, I'm, I'm hired to hire a staff, manage a staff, put in, put in place a marketing plan, do all the, I mean, I just, the number of different yeah. things that I was able to do at 25 in that environment was uh, looking back on it now, even though it was two years because the team was only around two years, it was really impactful for me. And I think it was noteworthy that because it was in a minor league environment where there's fewer people, you, um, you, you do a lot more things. Some of the things which are, are, you know, I guess you could call glamorous or whatever, but then a whole lot of things that aren't that maybe you wouldn't do if you're working for a major league team where you have one defined role, like I had at the two roles, which was selling group and season tickets. I, there's so many great pieces of advice in there. And I want to harken back to what you said and just make sure I hit this with everybody. Networking, relationship building is not something you do while in college and then forget about. Like this is a very continual process. Meeting people in the industry, it's a small world and that connectivity has to continue going throughout your entire career. And building those relationships is absolutely so important. And secondarily, like that that experience with minor league is like nothing else. And we tell everybody all the time, like, Look at minor league baseball, look at minor league hockey, look at all these different opportunities because that's really where you get to see and be involved in so many different parts and doing so many different things. And it gets you exposed to what you like, what you don't like, what areas you want to pursue. And it's such a great, like, for the love of the game environment, right? Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. And you're right. I mean, I I did more than just, I like to think of myself, I guess, as more marketing and, and, and sales are where I'd like to be. Um, probably as I age, I skew more towards marketing than sales, but you do a lot of everything. So yeah. you also get to eliminate some things like, man, if I was ever kind of tempted or intrigued by that, I, I tried it and, and I'm, I'm no longer tempted or intrigued by it. Right. But exactly. You got to know though. Yeah, those are important things to do is also to eliminate yes. things that, so, um, to figure out that, yeah, that, that doesn't really get me terribly excited. Um, so, um, so clearly that's important. And on the networking piece, I don't even know if I knew I was doing it. I think I just, yeah. uh, I just in, enjoy meeting people. And then since it's in this environment, sports that I really like, you know, you tend to meet people that you're interested in because they're in it too. And, um, and you're just forming friendships and relationships. And then as I, again, as I've aged, a lot of this stuff is as I've aged, cause I've, I've aged, <laughs> um, um, you, you look back on it and, and now I can look at the role I'm in now and the role I'm in now, I only got introduced because a person who I worked closely with for, uh, probably for 10 years, um, would end up kind of moving into the creation of this job and recommended me for it. So when I was working with that person back now, 20 years ago, I wasn't saying to myself, Hey, I'm, I'm doing this and I'm enjoying working with this person because someday he's going to lead me to a dream job. Um, it just kind of, it just kind of evolved. Um, but, but the critical thing was got to know this person, got to know a lot of people enjoyed, um, in, enjoyed being around them and getting to know them. And then, as you said, sometimes those leads to doors being opened. Yeah. And I think the, a spirit of curiosity where like, I could see you being like, oh my gosh, that person works for the Timberwolves. That's interesting. I want to learn more about how they do things versus how we do things. And there's opportunity there to learn from one another. And then the next thing you know, you have a relationship with this person and it turns into something positive. Even if your intent at the beginning was just to be curious, to meet other people, to have that kind of environment. I I just think that that spirit needs to be entrenched within people trying to break into our industry. Yeah, and I'll I'll say, um, we talked about what we studied in school. 
And, and uh, I'm, I'm open to informational interviews all the time. People did it for me and, and I'm happy to, yeah. to talk to anybody that, that wants to. And also, if you want to major in sports marketing, that's great. Do that. But don't limit yourself to just that because you want to do it. And I look at my, you know, I chose economics and political science because I was interested in those subjects, but also because they're not like um, right or wrong type things. They're, they're fields where it's basically like constant discussion, constant thought provoking and 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 nobody's right or wrong. And that I, I enjoy that. I enjoy it. Like, yeah, my wife says I might like to argue, but I'd said just more. <laughs> um, but what I what I would say to somebody is what you're learning in school as much as anything is the ability to learn and the ability to be curious. And so you, if you take that into your professional life, just constantly learn and constantly want to learn and want to know more. And, and if you find a field that you're sincerely and genuinely interested in, it's a pretty cool connection to come into it, like already having the skill of curiosity and then being in a field where you're genuinely curious about it. Yeah, for sure. You're leaning a lot into the, the economics side, which I think is really interesting in your, in your background. And I, and I have to imagine when the North Stars, like you're, you're early in your career, the North Stars are a fixture in Minnesota in a hockey, hockey land. And then they pack up and move to Dallas. Was that a instrumental moment in understanding the business side of sports or was that just a gut punch that you never get past? Oh, it was a personal gut punch. I'd actually already left yeah. the Timberwolves. So my season at the North Stars was our second to last year. And then my yeah. first year at the Timberwolves was the last season of the North Stars. So to see them go um, is, it was, you know, it was awful for the 12 year old me because that was, yeah. you know, that was such part of my life. And then actually having to work there and then they go. And then a couple years later, they blow up the arena arena um, so just, yeah, just, just awful stuff. Um, from a, from a standpoint here in Minnesota, we've got a unique hockey culture where college hockey means a ton. High school hockey means a ton. Yeah. So, um, there was enough hockey here that, that hockey survived and continued to flourish, even though the North stars left. And then, you know, it felt like forever, but it was, you know, just seven years later that the Minnesota wild would, would start play. So the NHL wasn't gone that long, even though it felt like it was longer than that. Um, it did. It felt like a long time. I also think the North stars and maybe couple in the whalers had the greatest uniforms ever. Like I loved those uniforms growing up. So I think that was a big loss. There's a big, uh, I'm still in Minnesota. I live in Minneapolis and, and work in St. Paul. I work in the Minnesota wild offices and if you've seen the Wilds, they call it the reverse retro jersey. Yeah. It's the same color scheme as the North Stars. Uh, and Love uh, there's a huge, like, uh, informal via social media movement here to make that their uh, their full-time uniform. And I got to say, <laughs> when I see it, man, it's it's pretty sweet. Brings back some memories, I bet. Yeah. So let's talk about that, though. You, you came over to the Wild when they were still an expansion concept, right? It was a couple of years before they actually launched. You were one of the early employees. What were those early days like? Cause now you're going startup life in a way. Yeah, it was a blast. It was like, it was kind of like, uh, the benefits of what you got in minor league sports, but only doing it in the national hockey league. So, yeah. um, first of all, it was just wonderful people. I was, I was, um, hired in July of 98 and they started play in October of 2000. So a little less than two and a half years. Yeah. And the people involved from the Nagley family, Bob Nagley was the, the primary investor um, on down to the, the, the leadership there at the time. It was uh, uh, Matt Maka, Todd Lywicki, Bill Robertson, uh, 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 a woman named Martha Fuller, just, just these, these people who 
were great for me to learn from. Um, they, they gave you know, Jack Sperling. How did I forget him? Jack Sperling was involved, but they also gave you so much, um, what I would just say is ability to be a leader and be creative and contribute. Um, so I felt like coming in, um, you made an impact, you know, you like, you're like yeah. some things that happened there that you feel some personal pride in. And, uh, and so we built that up and it was unique at the time. I have to remind myself, you know, they were the first major pro team here in Minnesota to locate in St. Paul. And at the time that was looked upon as a, as a negative, like that, that's going to hold back the success. And it turns out to be the furthest thing from it. In fact, I think being in St. Paul adds to the, uh, the charm of the Minnesota wild and the success of the Minnesota wild. Uh, but those early days were, uh, you know, when you, when you are creating something, uh, like I joined the Timberwolves, Timberwolves were already up and running. They already were what they were. I had a great experience yeah. there, but you know, that's what it was. And that's just the way it was to have the good fortune of being literally something from, from the truly the ground floor. I mean, even like from the basement, you know, I, I, you, yeah. you get in there and you're building the foundation. Um, and, and looking back, I've had, uh, I've just had pretty good luck to be able to, find myself in at places where, you know, not only is it a great job, but it's a unique moment in the existence of that organization, like college mm-hmm. hockey, and certainly like the Minnesota wild in the early days. And then to be part of the behind the scenes stuff that led to these iconic things like this phrase, the state of hockey, um, uh, this, this holiday that, that, that basically the wild created called hockey day, Minnesota, that we just celebrated last weekend. That's this wonderful celebration of hockey in the state. And at one time yeah. didn't exist and wouldn't exist if not for the Minnesota wild and being able to see how they chose their marketing is so oriented to getting kids in Minnesota to play hockey and celebrating all levels of hockey in the state. So yeah, it personally, um, uh, I would say like working for the wild was a great job, but it also fulfilled, like it felt like I was working for a cause as well. And the cause happened to be hockey in Minnesota. Oh, I love that. Yeah. It gets to the root of the community and what the people all want to be, get behind and really gets everybody entrenched in the, in the, in the organization. So you mentioned earlier how important hockey is to the high school level, to the college level. Like it's really important in the area of Minnesota college hockey, Inc. Give us a little bit of the background, the purpose, the mission. What are you guys doing? And how did you end up getting this position as executive director? So College Hockey Inc., we're a three-person nonprofit, along with Sean Hogan and Jason Hajdu. Those are my two co-workers. So the three of us form this little nonprofit or, or make up this little nonprofit. Uh, yeah. The organization was created back uh, 12 years ago and um, 13 years ago now, and I joined it uh, over 10 years ago. So I've been with it for most of the, the time that it's been around. Um, we were created in the beginning primarily to assist young aspiring hockey players to understand all that goes along with college hockey. Um, okay. And for people who are listening that aren't really following hockey, that might seem like a head scratching answer. There's a unique aspect to the, the hockey development model that is not the way that a basketball player grows up playing basketball, that, a, that, a, that a, a football player grows up playing football, that a volleyball player grows up playing volleyball. And, and it's, it's messy and it's hard to understand. And there's this aspect called major junior hockey, uh, which is primarily a Canadian thing. It's a Canadian institution. It's been around forever. And the NCAA considers players that play that professional. Now, whether they are professional or not, that's totally up for debate. They, uh, I'll, I'll acknowledge they certainly don't look professional. They're just young people right. playing hockey. But 
uh, but it is what it is. And so there are a number of young aspiring hockey players uh, that lose their eligibility as young as 14 and mm-hmm. frequently by 16. And so there are many players that, um, that, that give up their eligibility before they even know anything about college hockey or before they know, you know, the facts about college hockey. So we were created to serve as a resource fits within NCAA recruiting rules to make sure that if a young person doesn't know what they should know, or that young person's parents, um, that they, that they have a resource. And then we are in that regard, we're primarily focused on, on boys hockey on men's hockey, because there is not a major junior hockey for women's hockey. So okay. Women's hockey is more like basketball. It's more like football in the sense that every 17 year old girl is eligible, whether she even knows it or not, no different than every 17 year old boy is eligible for college football and, and, and college basketball and whatever it might be. So that's why we were created. But since then, we've evolved to much more than just that, I think. Uh, we're very much a marketing promotions, you know, we like to say storytelling uh, department um, organization to make sure that all the, the great stories about college hockey are being told, um, being told by us, being told by others. And why that's needed is, again, adding to the unique aspect of college hockey. And there are many things that make college hockey pretty unique is that it's played almost entirely in a single sport conference setting. So a school will play all of its other sports, basketball, football, volleyball, in Conference X, a multi-sport conference, but then they play their hockey in Hockey East or ECAC Hockey or NCAC, okay? And those organizations are wonderful, but they tend to be smaller staffed and and, and probably not as well-equipped to to tell the cool stories that are going on, or if they are, they're going to focus obviously on just stories in their conference. So we look at college hockey as one whole unit for people who still are scratching their head. And I, I don't blame them if they are, I think an easy way to look at it is we want college hockey to be connected to all levels of hockey, especially the NHL, the way that college basketball is connected to the NBA and the way that college football is connected to the NFL. So if you think about that, when you watch the Super Bowl and after the first snap, you know, they're going to put up the offensive line for, for Philadelphia mm-hmm. and those guys are going to tell you what college they went to. You know, yep. um, if you go to an NBA game tonight, when they introduce the starting lineup, they're going to tell you what college the players went to. Right. There isn't that obvious connection yet between college hockey and the NHL. And we feel for the sport to grow to reach its full potential in the United States, especially, we have to tap in as much as possible to the uh, the already existing college sports culture that is just so part of our of our culture overall, not just our sports yeah. culture, but our culture overall. So then we added to it this uh, idea of being the organization to take the lead in trying to grow college hockey. So finding new schools to offer it because it is, again, it's not, I keep saying it's a unique sport. The, the, the facility required to play our sport is very unique. And if you don't have one, it's a significant expense. It's not yeah, just, it's a, and it's an investment. Yeah. You don't just go out and restripe a field or, or create a field, you know, it's, it's right. many millions of dollars. So it almost does require uh, what I would call an advocacy organization like ours, trying to meet with schools and 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 find schools that are able to do it. And and Arizona State's probably the one that 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 we talk about most because that one was such a such a win for us. But there's other schools that we've worked with. All of them are wins, 
And, uh, and we're still in that process. And, and now is the time to call out that we are partners with the National Hockey League and the National Hockey League Players Association. And full credit to them, they will pay for a feasibility study for any mm. school that wants to consider, uh, any college that wants to consider adding men's or women's college hockey. And so that's been just a, a huge benefit to us being able to, uh, to you know, make this work. So that's what College Hockey League is. I have so many, so many questions and so many follow-ups because it's very interesting to me. Um, we'll start with this. Why, I, why does the NHL and NHLPA support the college hockey vision versus the, the major juniors? What, is there a reason that they lean that direction? No, I wouldn't say that it's not that they don't support major junior. They do. They do support major junior. Yeah. Um, but culturally, you know, major junior hockey is much, junior hockey is just much more of a Canadian thing. So in Canada, in the, especially in the smaller towns, I think the junior hockey team has a, has a, a place in people's hearts in, in those Canadian communities, much like a college team does here in the U.S. Or I would even say, yeah. you know, like a high school team does in Minnesota, especially in a small town in Minnesota. It's got its place and it means something and it's been part of the, the growth of hockey um, in Canada. So it's, it's certainly not something where the NHL is not supporting it. But I think what the NHL sees in the U.S., is our culture loves college sports. Um, it just does. I mean, sometimes too much. Okay. Oh yeah. <laughs> All right. Sometimes That's for sure. Um, but good or bad, mostly good. They love college sports. And you can see that at what's happened at Arizona state by them adding hockey, you tap into this living alumni base and I'd, I'd have to go back and look exactly what it is, but it's several hundred thousand people. It's like three, 400,000 living alumni of Arizona state. And then when you tap into it, many of those people closely identify with being an alumni of Arizona state, you know, or if you're an alumni of Penn state or whatever the school is that you go to, when you ask those people, tell me about yourself, it does not take them long to, to get to them telling you that they're an alum of ASU. You know, they might go, I'm married. I got two kids. I live here. I went to Arizona state. You know, it's like they yeah. quickly tell you Part of their story. that that matters yeah. to them. So I think um, the opportunity for us, college hockey, when I say us, to do our part to grow hockey in the U.S., to just grow the sport. You know, we have to expand where we are. We have to be coast to coast and border to border, like the NHL now is. Yeah. And when the NHL moves into, you know, a market, you might recall back when they moved to San Jose, there was a lot of people like, what are they doing? They're crazy, yeah. you know? Oh, yeah. But, you know, that that and the success of that, plus Gretzky going to Los Angeles, I think it opened a lot of people's eyes that hockey is such a spectacular sport that wherever it goes – Kids point to it and say, I want to play that, you know, in spite of there being so many hurdles to playing the game facility. It's not a running based sport. There's equipment required. The sport flourishes. So full credit to the NHL for growing full credit to USA hockey for going out there and getting arenas built and creating hockey players everywhere in this country. But college hockey was a little bit behind that in terms of moving outside of its kind of New England through Michigan, through Wisconsin, Minnesota, North Dakota, that was kind of its footprint. Then it had a, a, a nice little thing going on in the state of Colorado and the state of Alaska. And, and, and that was it, you know, and, and then so, so expanding that footprint was, was vital to us. And then fortunately with some gener generous people, Arizona state happened. And now you see down there that not only do, does the existing student body love it, but their alumni love it. And I went to yeah. an Arizona state game at the University of Minnesota, and it was noteworthy how many people 
from Arizona State were at that game. And I didn't do research, but my guess was it was a lot of alumni living in the Twin Cities that finally had an opportunity to dig out their ASU sweatshirt and, you know, go go relive their time at ASU. Right, so right. I would say that just imagine if Alabama and Auburn each had a 4,500-seat on-campus arena and mm-hmm. this weekend they were playing each other with the SEC title on the line. Or yeah. Oregon and Washington, and, and they were playing in Oregon, and the marketing machine behind the Oregon Ducks got involved in hockey, okay? And we tapped into all those alumni bases throughout the country. That would absolutely grow the sport of hockey because college athletics and, and, and colleges matter so much. So I think it's worth our while for those of us that love the sport, that yeah. want to see more kids playing the sport, that want to diversify the sport in all ways, including geographics. I don't know if there will ever be an NHL team in Oklahoma City that can do that. But if the Sooners can offer big time hockey, that would be a very, very close. It's a good call, growth point. You know? Yeah. It's funny. I grew up in New England, so I grew up in Massachusetts, and we grew up playing every winter. We'd play on the ponds. We'd be out every day as often as we could. We'd have, you know, nets stashed in the woods that we'd pull out to play. I, one of the guys I played with growing up ended up in the NHL for 17 years. Like, w- that was just the way that we all grew up and played. They all played at, at regional college, at colleges in the area. I thought everybody lived that way. And then I started moving around the country for different jobs, and I'm like, oh, nobody else does this, you know? So mm-hmm. it is, it's funny that the culture of hockey starting young, and you're right, that initial in, the investment and in facilities and et cetera, and it's not everywhere. So to spread that message and that potential is is such a valuable course of action. So I am drawn back to your, one of your first original points of, you know, trying to convince or market the brand or to teach young people that the college pathway is a very productive one that can get you to the NHL. How do you do that? How do you scale that message and reach enough people? Because that seems like it's a, could be a difficult process to get that message out there. How do you go about it? Do you do events? Like, what do you, how do you do it? All of the above. Yeah, we, we uh, yeah. And, and then since COVID and the world's adoption of uh, virtual, you know, Zoom or whatever it might be, um, that's, that's even added another opportunity for us to do it. But multiple ways. Um, and also it depends on the, where our audience is. Okay. Yeah. So if we're talking to somebody from Boston, like where you grew up or where I am, Minnesota, um, and they're involved in hockey, they absolutely have an understanding of college hockey and, and yeah. a perception of it as being cool. I mean, you know, the bean pots. Invaluable. Yeah. A logical bean- pathway. There's so many NHL players yeah. that came out of hockey East. Yeah. Like it was normal for us to yep. take that path. For sure. And 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 things like 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 I said, the bean pot, which starts on Monday. Oh yeah. You know, that 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 type of thing or or um, just the rivalries that exist everywhere in college hockey. So if we're talking to 100%. a young player in suburban Boston or we're talking to a young player in Minnesota, um, we know that that college hockey is probably what they think of as, if not the only route to the NHL, the predominant route to the NHL. OK, if we're talking to a young person in rural Saskatchewan, we re- or anywhere in Canada, we realize that their their awareness of it is less. But also their desire. And I think that's really important. You know, it's one we got to talk to your head and we got to talk to your heart. If we're talking to a kid in Boston or a kid in Minnesota, we probably know that we we have their heart. We have a lot of their head. So it's almost like reinforcing what they already think. Okay. Yeah. And then you're talking to somebody, whether it's in Canada or Europe or even um, areas of the U.S. where there isn't college hockey. So, like I said earlier, great on the NHL and USA Hockey for now having all sorts of hockey in California and Texas and Florida. Now it's on us 
to get college hockey teams out there so that every Monday or every Friday and Saturday, they're falling in love with college hockey a little bit every weekend of the winter. Okay. But right now, for the most part, those kids aren't, aren't experiencing that. So, um, so the first thing I would say is we have to tailor our message to where our audience is. And Europe's a bigger audience now. The number of European players playing NCAA hockey has more than quadrupled just in the past decade. So, um, so our sport's becoming worldwide. Um, so we do it with in-person seminars. We do it with virtual seminars. We do it with one-on-one, whether it's a phone conversation or a virtual meeting with, with targeted players that, that we're aware of. Um, we also do it social media-wise. Our, our, uh, you know, our Twitter and our Instagram are pretty impactful. Our Twitter account has over 60,000 followers. Um, so we, 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 we do that. We try to take advantage of other people with a voice. So we work closely with ESPN, TNT, NHL network organizations that broadcast NHL hockey to make sure that, that they hopefully are, are working college hockey content into their broadcasts as often as possible. And then we, we do it by also working with advisors and agents. Um, maybe not, not a great, uh, necessarily, uh, how should I say this? Just aspect of, of young player hockey today is the influence that, paid professionals are having on their their decision making process. Okay. I think I'm saying that pretty politically. Yeah. I think you're doing uh, it well. All right. But the that re- poli sci major is coming into work right now. Yeah, I got yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. Um, <laughs> uh, but the reality is is a lot of young players, young players, you know, 13 year old players are their families paying somebody to give them advice. So we've got to make sure that who's ever giving that advice um, has facts. Uh, and understands all that that is wonderful about college athletics and college hockey, and then also has a resource that if they encounter a question, they they don't run from the question. They they know that they can contact us. So, and I I, I say all that you know most of the advisors that we work with are, are actually really good people, um, but it's just kind of like the notion that as you talked about when you were a kid and what it was like and what it's like now, you know, oh, yeah, um, it's. It's just a reality that that you have to have to deal with. So we're trying we're trying to influence the media to, to see the value of college hockey. We're trying to get the people through social media. We try to we go where people are and meet with them in person, and then we meet with them virtually and stuff. So, like I said, all of the above. Mike, I'm so appreciative of your time and sharing so much into the college hockey story and and your background. We'll finish off with this just to give everybody a little bit of last advice. So you have a lot of background in corporate sales, ticket sales. You've worked in marketing, executive director, college hockey. That sales knowledge, I know a lot of people out there that don't necessarily want to work in sales. They don't see that being their fit, but that's what stirs the drink in our industry is that revenue stream. How important looking back is having that kind of base knowledge of how those lines of revenue work and those opportunities and what's going to move the needle for a business. How important is it to have that kind of a a background that can kind of propel you to certain heights and pivot your career in different different methodologies later? For me, it was very important. I, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to say that you can't get there without doing it, but I think it's a great foundation. If, if you don't have people that, that are paying money to take in what it is you're selling, whether that's buying a ticket, watching on TV, buying a jersey, whatever it might be, um, you know, then you're just not going to exist because that's why it happens. You know, youth hockey happens because it's a great way for a 12 year old person to learn life lessons, you know, but, but, you know, the NHL is not around so Connor McDavid can learn life lessons. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's around because it's a business and they want people to be able to consume it however they do that. Um, so I would say it's critically important. 
Um, it fits my personality though. It's in, in, you know, you can be competitive in a good way. Uh, and, and I, I found I thrived off that, you know, my, uh, um, my family knows these stories, but even back when I was in elementary school and we'd have like magazine sales for fundraisers, you know, I got into that. I would, I loved going door to door and selling magazines. And then for a while there, I was, I was selling gum in junior high school and learned just like, Hey, it's fun. It's fun to, it's fun to provide something of value to somebody and they're willing to, 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 to give you money back, you know? And, and I don't look at sales as some people have, I think, I think some people are just hung up on the idea of being in sales. And I looked at it like, you know, you're giving something, somebody of value, you're improving their life and they know what, and then, yeah. so long way of saying absolutely vital for me. Um, I enjoyed the heck out of it. It, it, um, it really got me off on the right foot. And then for, and then I was able to start to do more because of it, but I don't think I'd have the opportunities I had today if I hadn't succeeded at being in sales. Such great advice. Mike, great conversation. Thanks so much for coming on the show and teaching us more about College Hockey Inc. and your background. So much great advice to come out of that conversation. Absolutely. I enjoyed it, Brian. And thank you for asking me. Thanks to Mike for coming on the show. What incredible advice. Mike really understood this audience and, and thought, if I'm going to come on the show, I'm going to drop some knowledge and share some advice that is going to make a difference for people. So I hope you felt that and can apply that to your work life and your work strategies right now because I sure as heck can. There was a lot that I learned from that as well. Thanks to Mike. Thanks to all of you for listening. And uh, please continue to rate, review, and subscribe. That's how we stay high in the podcast rankings and other people can discover us. That's super important for us as we continue to grow. Thanks for being here. Thanks for continuing to listen. We'll see you on Monday.